Hi, I'm Leah Potter. I'm Meredith Roten, and we are two news editors at the GW Hatchet. This is the Hatchet's weekly podcast from the second oldest newspaper in D.C., covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus. I'm here with editor Sarah Roach and staff writer Nia Larte to follow up on the past year following a Snapchat incident on campus. Sarah, give us a timeline of what took place last year. It was on January 31st of last year that the Snapchat started circulating. It was, like, late at night. Yeah. Um, but by the time students woke up on February 1st, it had been circulating all around social media. A lot of students started paying attention to it. It depicted two sorority women in Alpha Phi, one of whom was holding a banana, and then the photo had the caption, Izzy, I'm 116th black. So that is, like, the, the gist of what the... The photo said and, and who was in it and then by that evening there had already been like an open forum planned by the black student union and the black carriages celebration planning committee and they basically just had this town hall with administrators officials were there student leaders were there and they basically you know the, the whole town hall was just criticizing in the post and demanding that alpha fee is removed from campus that was like one of the main topics of, of that forum and then it, one thing sort of led to the next provost forest maltzman released a statement condemning the snapchat and then university president thomas leblon said the post would lead to to more initiatives and and within 45 days of that promise a plan had been released. What did officials write in the 45-day action plan? So there were more than 85 students, faculty, administrators who were involved in a few different committees, and they were all tasked with doing certain things. Like one was tasked with finding a diversity inclusion director, which they hired for the fall. One was implementing diversity training for first-year students during colonial inauguration, and another being installing like a bias incident reporting system, which was installed like this past semester. So a lot of those things were promised. Some of them came together. Some of them didn't. And following the incident, how did Greek life leaders and student association leaders respond? Greek life leaders promised to form an anti-discrimination committee. I mean, that hasn't been done yet. It's been like an idea that's sort of been in the works for a little bit, but that was something that they promised to do. Right after the incident, they they expelled the three sorority sisters who were involved in, in the post. And then the Panhellenic Association hired a vice president for membership development to sort of hone in on on making sure that they're recruiting students from diverse backgrounds. So that was what the Panhellenic Association had promised on on their end in terms of the student association. About a week after the the Snapchat appeared, the SA Senate passed a resolution condemning the post and, and urging officials to create more housing options for multicultural Greek chapters. They also demanded that Alpha Phi was removed from campus, that diversity training is implemented for all Greek life leaders, all faculty, staff, students. That SA Senate meeting got a huge turnout. There were you know, more than 200 people there. And Amani Ross, who was a former essay senator, she spearheaded that bill, uh, sorry, sorry, that resolution. And she was really like the, the, the front runner of, of all of that on the essay end. How are students reacting to the incident now about a year after? And what do they think in terms of how the community has changed? We talked to Kilo Hester. He's the um, president of HASI and he's a sophomore. And then Michael Ferrier, he's um, the president of BSU. He said that he thinks that the black community is moving on. In a lot of ways, campus has changed. Most importantly, we kind of 
put what's important to us first more, and we're starting to talk about issues that really, you know, affect us and try to make changes on those issues, rather than try to dwell on the past. Alpha feed thing is over, and it's time to look forward, you know? So, Calissa, that, um, that the black community is moving on to bigger and better things, one of them is um, getting rid of the colonial nickname, and then the second one is, like, trying to rename um, the Marvin Center because the president that's named after is a segregationist. So going off of what Nia was talking about, Simone Hunter-Hobson, who's the National Panhellenic Council president, which is a new Greek council that started on campus earlier this semester, comprised of all historically black Greek letter chapters. She said the, the black community didn't necessarily get stronger because she said it had always been strong, but the, the snapshot sort of gave them a platform to like present something tangible to officials and say racism is, is an issue on campus to hear something that shows it and it, it, it strengthened their voice in that regard she said in like her capacity as NPHC president all she can do is is make sure that black students especially within that council have have a place where they can come together whether that be like through community service or they're hosting a step show soon this semester so just making sure that Black students still have a forum to, to come to officials and they have a representative body for all of them. So, yeah. And then another thing, something that officials wanted to do or had discussed last semester or last spring was finding more housing options for multicultural Greek um, chapters. Those housing options aren't really like something that's even a discussion anymore because the panel at Panhellenic Association is so different from the MPHC in terms of numbers and in terms of like what they actually do. So she said, she wants to move away from like comparing themselves to to like the I, the interfraternity council in, in Panhell and just focus on themselves. So Edward McKinley, Jacob Jean, Lex Constantendez, and Shelby Singleton, they all got together and they put this event on in the Vern called How to Survive Being Black on the Vern. And they really just talked about like being black on the Vern or kind of like being black at G, being black at GW and people were from Foggy were there too. But now, like, they're taking that and, like, also moving on forward, and they're starting this thing called the Black Resident Assembly. And it's not, like, a registered student organization, but it's just, like, dedicated to um, black students that live on the Vern and, like, trying to give them a space, I guess, like, to meet other black people on the Vern because they know it can be isolating, but just, like, an example of, like, you know, the black community coming together. Well, thanks for coming on and updating us about a year after the Snapchat incident. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thanks for having us. I'm here with our student life editor, Sarah Roach, and Sarah, this week you had a story about a revamped effort to change the school's nickname this week. Can you tell me more about it? Haley Margulis, she's a student association senator for the Columbian College of Arts and Sciences. She's hosting an event on Wednesday where she's going to bring in a few faculty members and the former Tanzanian ambassador to talk about colonialism and just what that means from like an educational standpoint. And talking about like how that could affect some student groups on campus whose maybe native country may have like experienced the effects of colonialism. And what disciplines are the faculty members from? One faculty member is a sociology professor, and then like I said, a Tanzanian ambassador, and then a history professor who uh, teaches British history will also sit on the panel. And Margulis emailed probably every faculty member at the university to my knowledge. And these are the professors who got back in and are really eager to be on the panel. And this is like a pretty much all, all of these people agree that the Colonials is not a good name for the university. They're not necessarily taking like a stance on it. They have like their own like personal opinions, but like w actually like on the panel, they just want to just sort of lecture about it. They don't want to like 
influence students in any way to like form a certain opinion. They want students to just learn on their own and then form an opinion from what they've heard and what they learned from the panel. But Senator Margulis has an opinion. Senator Margulis wants to change the colonial nickname to not like anything in particular, but just change it from what it is now. And something that she, she wanted to make really clear was that it's not changing like the mascot so like George the mascot she doesn't want that to go away but she wants the colonial nickname to be reconsidered. Why did faculty say they wanted to participate in this especially if they don't really have a stance on the mascot? A couple of the professors so so one of them who's on the panel Fran Buntman who's an associate professor of sociology. Buntman said he wants to talk about his experiences uh, like growing up in South Africa during apartheid and sort of give like context on that issue and how like apartheid was sort of like a form of colonialism. So that's something that that Buttman wanted to touch on. But um, Dane Kennedy, who's the British history professor, he wants to talk about the sort of like racial and social class connotations that are associated with colonialism and how how that word can can divide a lot of students because there are some demographics that, that were affected by this more than others. And this is not the first time this has come up. Can you kind of tell us the background of this push for a name change? So some students started a petition on change.org last spring calling on the university to change its mascot from to something less offensive, like the hippo. That was like the first petition, and then the, the petition changed to um, an essay, the essay student associate, like the, the platform that they use to, it's called GW Voice. So whenever a, a petition will go on that platform, if it receives more than 500 signatures, then the student association president is required to respond to it and release some sort of formal statement to the student body. And, to the whole university. So it got more than 500 um, in May. And then SA President Ashley Lee, she released a statement and she didn't take like an official stance on it. She just urged officials to to listen to students. After this event, what are Senator Margulis's plans for the future? Since last spring, that um, conversation about changing the colonial nickname hadn't really been reignited in any any way, so she wants this to sort of spur spur more of like a formal conversation between officials and students because, you know, like student leaders can have like behind the scenes conversations with administrators and and talk about what they've heard from students about the, the colonial, but she wants this to be more of something that like all students are thinking about. And so after the event, she's going to take like the contact information of some students and then send them all like message all of them and see what they can do from there. Um, she doesn't have any like concrete plans, but she wants this event to be the first like formalized discussion about like what it means to have the colonial as the as GW's nickname. Thanks for talking to us about this, Sarah. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm here with Lindsay Pollan, our culture editor, to talk about a new exhibit at the Corcoran. What's the exhibit about? So the exhibit is called Open, and it's by an artist named Robin Bell, and he's actually pretty well known around D.C. for his um, projections onto really iconic D.C. buildings. He's done stuff at the EPA, um, he has done things onto the museum, but I think what he's most well known for are his projections onto the Trump hotels. And you might have seen the ones that said, pay Trump bribes here, or he projected a bunch of poop emojis onto the Trump hotel, and it said shithole. So this artist has a strong political bent. Yes. So when I was talking to him, he was talking to me about how, as an artist, um, it's kind of his job to comprehend and digest the world around him, and one part of doing that is 
by commenting on politics. What makes a democracy is discussion and compromise and, and figuring out ways of uh, communicating. And that's, and, and that's challenging. It's not easy. It's, it's more... Um, so I think that art has a way of breaking down those conversations, breaking those... Um, discussions down. He was talking about how when he sees things in the news, he thinks, how could I not make art about this? How could I not react to that? Are projections a difficult medium to display in a museum? How is that going to work logistically? So he was telling me about how in the past it was a little bit harder because the technology wasn't as advanced um, and they weren't as portable. But now um, it seems to me that it's a really easy medium to do because of technology advancements and um, projectors are pretty portable now. So you, they're just projected onto the wall? Yeah, the so they're going to be projected onto the, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the flag building, but onto um, the walls, the staircase, um, and around the atrium, which is like the main part of the So it's building. not like your typical exhibit where it's just one room and you go and see Yeah, so the atrium, it, the flag building atrium is like pretty big, but then it's also going to be going up the staircases, so it's kind of like going to be taking up the entire room. Do you know yet what kind of stuff will be in the exhibit? Yeah, so it's going to be mostly projection based with a couple of light um, pieces and also a couple of pieces that incorporate televisions into it but he was kind of vague about what specifically each piece would be. How did he get connected with the Corcoran in the first place? So he was a professor at Corcoran for six years, um, so that's one way he got connected. (laughs) Um, But this is kind of his first project with Corcoran, like, since it merged with GW. And I think Sanjeet, the um, director of Corcoran right now, reached out to him originally about another exhibit that's coming up. It's called 61389, and it's the 30-year anniversary of this exhibit at Corcoran in in 1989 that was supposed to um, take place at Corcoran, and last minute they canceled it because of political pressure um, from, like, the religious right and from politicians because it was by an artist who had some pretty provocative art, um, and it was right during the AIDS epidemic. And the artist had actually died um, due to complications from AIDS a couple of months before the exhibit was supposed to go on. Did he talk at all about more of the inspiration behind this exhibit? Um, So a lot of the inspiration, based on my understanding, did come from this idea that Corcoran has been closed in the past, um, not only in 1989 when they closed their doors for the Maplethorpe exhibit, but also when they closed their actual doors in 2014 when the National gallery of art and gw took over so um bell was telling me about how it's kind of about not only like opening for the audience to open their minds to coming to his exhibit but also actually corcoran reopening to a lot of communities that it's been closed off to before thanks for talking to me today about this new exhibit thanks for having me Meredith. that's all for this week thanks for joining us on getting to the bottom of it Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by news editors Meredith Roten and Leah Potter and features culture editors Catherine Avogazala and Lindsay Pollan. This podcast is produced by managing editor Matt Cullen and video editor Ariana Dunham. Music is produced by Olk Studio. Special thanks to Nia Larte and Sarah Roach for joining us. See you next week.